Jesus and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dude, burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're going to be like blown out of the water but you just go no i just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers oh what about that now then everybody i am tom ramsey and welcome to the edge coaching podcast this podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Now then, a up and welcome. Welcome to the latest podcast, which is Road Racing Tactics. Um... So we're going away from sport performance in terms of physiology today and we're looking more onto specific race tactics, how scenarios present themselves in racing and what you can do about it. So today we are joined uh, with Cav. Cav? I see your arms out of the sling now. It's fabulous. I'll give you a demonstration. Oh, bloody hell. Wow. Yeah. So have you tried a ride yet? Yeah, I'm fi- I was fine on the turbo. I was going to get out on the bike today in the evening. Three or four days ago, I was like, ooh, it's not twinging anymore. I'll take it out see what happens. And I just wasn't in any pain. Yeah. So, wow. it, so is that I, against doctor's orders or is that uh, along with what they suggested? They said I can do what I want as long as I'm not in pain. Mm. Brilliant. And right, how if many I'm doing- does that mean now? Four today. Right. But that is quick then, yeah, fair play. And the, and the quicker you can get it out and the quicker you can get it moving and get some load through it, the better, really. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, fair play to you. Uh, for the listeners who, because I don't actually think we told the listeners on the last podcast, I, I was trying to think about like, like a timeline, but I'm pretty sure the last podcast we did, you hadn't crashed yet. I think it was the day before I crashed. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so for the listeners who don't know, just give us a bit of a summary of what happened uh, when you crashed and what the uh, what came of it. What came of it in the end? Uh, so it was just like last group ride of the year, bit of a social with a uni uni lot, um, and we we have this route we do called Harvey, which is a ride we do every Wednesday. Uh, it's about two hours, and at the end of like the ride, there's a twenty minute churn gang into a town sign sprint. <laughs> So uh, we're winding up down the hill into the town. It's well, I said downhill. It's like two percent down, so it's enough to get going, but not flying. Um, and my mate goes to kick and accelerate out the wheel. Uh, as he kicks, he drops his chain, goes over the bars, and must have been doing about forty miles an hour. So just nowhere to go. Right on his wheel, following the kick, he landed helmet first, and I just caught the bike and went down too. Fuck. Landed on my shoulder. Kept sliding for a while, covered in cuts and did my collarbone, unfortunately. It sounds horrific. Like I, I said, when you told me, like I, it is like the crash of nightmares that, um, you know, super, super fast, um, nowhere to go. And yeah, I mean, it sucks balls that it was on a training ride as well, or, you know, a townside sprint. You can kind of, um, you can kind of deal with it a bit better when it's in a race, I think, because, you, you know, it, it's in that environment where you'd expect it to happen. But when it's a training ride, 
and pissing him out with your mates it just kind of uh rubs salt in the wounds even more i guess how was your mate anyway i don't think i asked what was uh so he came down head first so he landed on his head took a pretty big bang he had to go for a ct scan but he came out all right in the end i think he was just concussed but he broke his collarbone too and he broke his ribs so right and how's his recovery from that he's already on his bike he wrote he did a four ride three days ago i think all right yeah yeah, so we've done had a quite a miraculous recovery between both of us. Yeah, fair play. Well, it's good to good to hear you back on the bike now, and uh, and hopefully the only way is up. Um, how have you? Uh, obviously, being quite current, we've had a current with a bit of heat wave recently. Um, it is cooler today, apparently, but um, I still don't feel any cooler. Like I'm sat here yeah. with a fan on my legs, and to be honest, if if I didn't have to be professional in front of you, Cav. I would be even on bollocks out and like a foot top off and, and everything. Yeah. I could probably get away with it on podcast to be fair. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I feel very sticky. How are you dealing with it? Like, how are you sleeping? I slept awful last night. So I'm quite fortunate to have a very nice Dyson fan oh, convenient just by my father yeah. a while ago. So I'm quite lucky in the fact that I'm yeah. quite cool on evenings and it's not particularly loud. But if like without that, I'd really struggle. Like when I'm not sleeping at uni, my fan gets tra- travels around the house, so to yeah. say. Yeah. Does your does the Dyson physically cool the air as well? Like an aircon? Yeah. Does it? Oh right. Wow. I might have to invest. I was um, last night. So I did a bit of a check because when I when I walk up my stairs to bed. I can physically feel the temperature change between downstairs and upstairs. Um, and, I, and I did a reading and it's five degrees hotter upstairs than it is downstairs at like nine, 10 o'clock at night. Um, anyway, I, I kind of thought, right, I'm not sleeping downstairs. I got in bed, you know, full on naked star fishing with no covers on and um, fan faced on me and everything. And I actually what does work well well for me is I actually get an ice pack and I put the ice pack on my forehead. That helps quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, while I was trying to drift off to sleep, I could still feel sweat dripping down my body. And I feel like I'm not, you know, I feel like I'm such a wuss, like complaining about the heat on a night like that. Cause you know, the, uh, there'll be some people listening to this podcast from other hot countries or whatever. And, and who have kind of, you know, have that every single night, but yeah, you'll probably have air conditioning units in, inside your house. Whereas, uh, I yeah. don't. And, uh, it got to two o'clock and I was kind of in and out of sleep and I finally decided to come downstairs and sleep on the sofa and it was significantly cooler. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm a great sleeper, but I can't sleep well in the heat. Um, so, um, so yeah, so all of your cuts have uh, kind of healed a- enough now that they're not sticking to the sheets anymore, I would hope. Yeah, fortunately, that that is something I'm quite glad I crashed four weeks ago rather than yeah. quite recently because It'd the be collarbone was bad. But in this heat with all those cuts, it has just been awful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a little side note, actually, while we're talking about heat, and I don't know if you've researched it or know about it, Cav, but... Recently, I've found quite a lot of good research on mints, like menthol, um, and how it how it can uh, really help keep you cool in in hot environments. Um, Kev, you're nodding your head, so you, you clearly heard of it before. But for those listeners who don't know, um, I think it will be a lot uh, for a lot of people. It'll be new information. Um, 
the simple act of like uh, chewing on a mint or or putting a mint in your mouth and kind of swilling it around your mouth can dramatically cool you off um, subjectively and 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 therefore help your performance on the bike. Menthol triggers these kind of cold sensitive receptors on, in the skin, uh, resulting in a, in like a cooling sensation that feels really really fresh and 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 i've noticed it on doing certain sessions actually so much so that i tried it on my last ride i did i had a, a pack of like uh, real strong mints um and uh and like subjectively it seemed to work like i had one and i don't know if it was like i don't know if it's always some of it will be psychosomatic and and some of it will be um the act of me thinking about the mint which is taking my mind off the fact that i'm i'm too hot but it seemed to work magic um, and it, and it's stimulating the kind of these certain nerve endings that allow you to feel cool. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so a, a nice little bit of information that I found recently. Um, and when I was reading, actually, there was one study um, like in terms of direct relationship cycling where cyclists who swished the menthol mouth rinse um extended their time to exhaustion by nine percent in a time trial um and uh and yeah like when you combine that menthol with cold beverages um yeah the, these these kind of uh, effects are even more enhanced so a little side tip for anyone who's really struggling with heat on on longer rides um today's podcast as you can see um or as you can hear we're pairing up with cav and we're bringing our brains together to do a podcast on uh, crit and road racing um, tactics. Now, it was a question that was asked um, on my social media account a few weeks ago. Um, and I was thinking about like how to, how to go about this topic. Um, and I think the best way of approaching it is just by kind of a, a casual conversation. I was thinking like of different like bullet points um, on, and things to cover. And I, and there is actually been some quite specific questions through my social media account that will, will try and answer towards the end. Um, but, um, I guess to make a start, what I find, what makes road racing and, and crit racing so interesting is, uh, but yet very frustrating for some is that the strongest guy on the start line won't always win. Um, and yeah, more often than not probably doesn't win. Um, obviously one of the stronger riders, if you're a stronger rider going into a race, you're putting yourself in a, a much better position, but of those 10 top fastest, strongest guys, you know, any of those could win depending on how they play their tactics. Right. Um, and there's loads more to crit racing and road racing than than any of the other disciplines or, or sports. So, for example, in a TT, side note, if everyone's drag was equal and if they all had equal bikes and equal kit, then the strongest guy would obviously win. Um, in running events, typically the strongest person will win. Um, and uh, because, yeah, there's less to be played with different tactics and most of this revolves around um the the whole concept of drafting and and sitting in a bunch and conserving energy by following another rider and as we know obviously i don't need to tell most of the listeners but you can save a dramatic amount of energy by sitting on the back of one person and that is um 
massively amplified if that's two people, three people, and then and, and, and even more so if you're on the back of a bunch. But um, but yeah, Cav, if we start with road racing, do you want to kind of start with a bit of a, a summary of your thoughts with regards to road racing tactics? Um, so at the end of the day, you win a race by crossing the line first. It doesn't matter how much you've done on the front, how many watts you power in the sprint, all the rest of it. Great. It might, might be great for your motivation, things that like you can see you're improving, but the point of attack, like the point of tactics is to win the race. Um, and it's really interesting with road rating because the higher level you, the higher you move up in the levels, the more dramatic everything becomes in the sense of the mistakes you make will cost more. Mm. So for say a regional a road race. So that's what people would normally consider a two, three, four road race. The minimum distance they do is 80 kilometers. So you, you push in what probably two hours at most. So again, fueling is important. It's always important for races when you get above 40 minutes um but the discrepancy between um riders fueling it'll be minimal people will take on gels at that level and if worst case scenario if you're not taking on food it's it's bad but it's not awful but then when you start looking at national a races so e123s prems things you see on tv the minimum distance is 130 kilometers on demanding terrain so that's hilly brutal courses and the maximum of 180 kilometers flat terrain so you're looking at this and all of these different possibilities of how you're going to race what you're going to eat all starts to come together and if you start making mistakes where you're not eating enough or you commit to the wrong moves you're expending so much energy for say the finish mm. so it's important to consider these even at the lower levels for when if you do get better or you're aiming for targets that you're not making the mistakes when you get better and that you're on top of the things and the longer the race the more each thing matters the more energy you need to save to finish stronger absolutely have you uh i mean yeah i mean in terms of examples i guess you know if uh you've also like got to consider um i mean we just talked very briefly about nutrition uh standpoints there but um you know not only are these uh bigger races longer in terms of duration uh, but they're also typically a lot higher in intensity as well um and typically because of the big teams the more riders on each team the pace is never kind of backing off so in you know in a, a regional b race for example whatever it might be regional a race typically there is periods in that race which are fairly easy in intensity so uh you know that there's there's periods in that race where the the, the pace will drop right or off sometimes you know uh, right under 20 mile an hour and, and everyone's kind of looking at each other and there might be it might be like that for 10 miles um but then, yeah, as you get up the up the realms of um, these national races, there all there'll always be a team which is kind of wanting to keep the pace high, or there'll be uh, chances up the road, and the pace never wants to drop drop very low because they don't want them to get away and so on. Um, so, so yeah, so it's a very good point in terms of 
uh, everything is, is amplified the, the higher the categories. So, um, so yeah, what other like considerations are there aside from, from a nutritional perspective? So, um, for me personally, um, I look at specific races that suit me. And I think it's some, a lot of things that some people overlook is that you, you develop in a tactical scenario to suit you as a rider. So when you're considering say golden rules for yourself or other people racing, some people might have the golden rule of don't attack in the first half of the race because you just simply won't have the gas to get to the finish. But you might have other people who really can't sprint and their golden rule is to absolutely hammer the race and just form a breakaway. Mm. So it's all very individual. But from my perspective, it's just you always need to consider where the finish is in in relation to you and what's going on in the race. Yeah, you might want to be involved in a breakaway, but can you re- can you really last 100k solo from a bunch which is probably going to average 24, 25 miles an hour? Mm. If the answer is no, then golden rule, like, why are you doing it? That's a very good point. I, I think uh, when I look back to my own performances, um, like I came into road racing as a cyclocross rider and um, with a, a decent uh, mountain bike background as well. So in mountain bike racing, my max, maximum duration of racing was like an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half. And from cyclocross, it's like 45 minutes an hour. Um, and my power profile was very good at that 45 minutes to an hour mark of incredibly intense racing. So massive, uh, you know, 40 second efforts with limited recovery on, off, on, off, on, off, all the way through for an hour. That being said, I was absolutely crap at like holding a m- mediocre suffer for anything more than an hour. So I, I knew full well that if I was to jump in a road race, which was going to be three hours long, that it's daft of me to initiate any kind of moves early on in the, in the race. Now, if I thought that there was a, like a race winning move early on in that race, and it was very obvious that there was some very strong riders in that race um, and not following that move was going to cost me a, a result. Then, yeah, I would try and follow that move. But then if I got in that move, realistically, I was trying to do as little work as physically possible so that when it did heat up later, I would have some legs left. Contrastingly, if there's a guy who his power profile and his training profile and the kind of riding he does He's getting in massive volume. He's getting in, you know, four hours every day. And he's and he's really good around like, you know, sweet spot and threshold efforts. Or he's coming from a time trial background or, you know, he's great. At, he's coming from like a long distance time trial background. Then he'll probably be able to average 26, 27 mile an hour for a th- three hour race. And therefore, it makes more sense to him, assuming he hasn't got a very good kick anyway, to actually go off and, and you know, try and initiate a bit of a an early break with another similar rider. Um, but yeah, that's like my worst nightmare for in terms of, uh, in terms of my power profile. So, um, so no, that, that is a, a very good point. And, and this is, it's something that I didn't really consider when I was thinking about this podcast, but there's obviously many, many var- variables for, for every situation and every race that was presented itself. But these are, these are, majorly dependent on the, the rider themselves as well. Um, how would you, you know, given examples, 
how would you approach your racing back in the day then in your, in, a couple of years ago so i was a stupid little kid that was always like yeah i'll attack from the gun <laughs> just because i was good at clipping in and that was the race but like the more experience and the older i got it always comes back to why am i doing what i'm doing um from this position can i win the race from this position am i like in an influential position um is the pressure on me to chase what's the dynamic of the race happening um so as a youth you're very fortunate to race with the same people week in week out like you you make friends with people really easily you're a kid it's just what happens um and it gives you the benefit of knowing everyone around you what they're good at what they're not good at and growing up for me it's just been hyper aware of what people are doing and what their strengths are which i appreciate it's a really difficult thing to do in the adult scene because of how many races there are and different levels of racing there are so i just say be aware of how people respond to things so if i'm racing down south now or up north and i'm racing with people i'm unfamiliar with if i'm observing people through the race and people are reacting and jumping on wheels instantly and then get into those wheels without struggling obviously they're going to prefer a sprint and if there's people that are trying to float through the wheels and re- really ragging the bike about just to get on that wheel probably going to want to be in the breakaway and it's just for me now it's trying to identify the people that i'm in the group with or i appreciate again that's really hard in in a peloton but you'll see people that keep trying to get in moves or people that uh, keep trying to follow the wheels into the moves so it's just been aware of who's trying to do what and then feeding them to what suits you yeah. I mean, I, when I first started road racing, um, when I first came into it, I was like super naive with, with what I could do. Um, and I, and I was one of those that was making many mistakes. I would essentially position myself right at the front of the group and I would always be in that top five guys. And then anything that tend to go, I would always immediately think, Oh shit, what if that's the winning move and just jump on it like straight from the gun. But the problem is I was always at the, fr- <laughs> I was always at the front of the bunch. So I'd end up dragging lots of other people with me. Um, So that's a, that's typically a massive no, no, that we'll go through, through in a second. But in terms of um, variables, then the other things to consider that I was thinking of earlier is uh, so we've just talked a little about your individual strengths and weaknesses. Um, How might course profile um, make your attitude towards a race and your tactics differ? Do you think? So for me, don't climb very i don't climb very well so personally for me if if i have to attend a really hilly race it's for example i did under 23 national series which was uh round of circuit uh not in the town center barnsley race so super hilly so from you start at the bottom of the hill and you've got about four miles to get to the bottom of the hill that you go around each circuit and my aim for that was make sure i'm in the breakaway before the hill starts Mm. so I fully, I'm fully aware and appreciate that if I was in the group with the climbers, just sat in the peloton, I was going out the back and that was my race ended. So my mission for that entire race was just breakaways don't necessarily suit me. I'd call myself more of a puncher, but the only way that I could see myself getting around a hilly race would be in the breakaway. Mm. Just, I don't have the ability to challenge the climbers when it gets tough, Mm. but then if it was a flat circuit, Obviously, I prefer to be in the bunch, rolling around, saving my energy, getting ready to wind up for a sprint. Mm-hmm. And how? Uh, so that that's 
fairly individual for you, but um, how would it vary for others then? So obviously there'll be other people listening to this, which yeah, could, could see themselves as like definitely a climber, um, you know, real, real slender guys who uh, don't have a massive absolute power, but they are, their power to weight ratio is really good. And, and yeah, that they, they, they see themselves as a climber. Um, if they get to a hilly, hilly race, then like, uh, should they try and initiate move on the climb? Should they wait for it to present themselves? I mean, there's many, I guess I appreciate there's many yeah. variables as well. Depends where the finish line is for one, obviously, where the, if the finish line is at the top of the climb and so on. But is there any considerations for, for that scenario? If, if people can see themselves in a climate and a very, very hilly course? From my opinion, the steeper the hill, the stronger the climber you are, the harder you go. So obviously you get the benefits of not very, if it's not very steep, there's still error benefits to be sat in the wheels. But if you are a climber and it's steep, I I 100% b- believe there's nothing to lose by just piling the pressure on every lap up the hill because just in a, in a road race, there's so much attrition and that if you're putting people in a box every time you go up a hill, it's not only up the hill they're hurting, it's mm. as you roll over the top, you're comfortable and they're still trying to recover. You could be eating while they're chewing the stem. You like you can eat you because of your benefits of power to weight, you can easily could take advantage of situations, not necessarily to drop people, but to put them in a deeper hole than you are. Yeah. And uh I know you came to watch it as well, but uh, the other weekend we watched um one of our clients, Joe Schillerbeer, uh, race at Scarborough Oliver's Mount circuit. Um, and for those who don't know it, it's a crit circuit, um, but it's got a pretty brutal climb in it, which is very steep for most of it. And then it kind of plateaus off and continues to climb. Um, I think the total segment is like a mile, is it or something? Um, yeah, but, yeah. um, but yeah, the first half is pretty steep and then it plateaus off for quite a while. And basically the way that Joe played that, um, is that i mean he joe is a climber i I would i would would categorize him as climbing he does very well in the hill climb season um he has got an incredible kick as well he's a bit of an all-rounder but he is he's he's a decent climber is joe um and i was having a conversation with him before and i think there was opportunities in that race where he could have have quote unquote attacked on that climb specifically put in a huge move got a gap the problem there is he'd, he'd probably ended up on his own and then had a massive solo effort the whole way to the line, which would have been uh, very difficult. The way that Joe played that is actually to, um, like you just said, pile a pressure on every lap. Every lap he took that climb slightly harder than the previous one, which for him was like, you know, 95, 96% um, effort. But for the majority of people in the in the pack, that was a hundred percent full gas effort. So basically, that that group just whittled down to four people, and you could tell in that group of four that he was looking super strong at the front of the group every time, and the other ones were doing more and more effort to try and keep on his wheel, so that the next descent and all the way around the the course, Joe was cruising, relaxing, taking on food, taking on drink, getting ready for the next effort. Um, and yeah, he just whittled them down to three riders, then two riders. And then on the last lap, he just basically went more or less full gas and, and dropped him and, and, and won the, won the crit. So that was a, 
an incredibly well well crafted race from from one of our clients but that was a, a classic example of where where that worked for him um and and i appreciate that cost pro- profile isn't um isn't as usual like if it's a hilly race like that it's usually a, a long longer road race with it where every hill is different and you know you've not got exactly the same climb each lap but other things to consider um other considerations that i thought you know in terms of a road race would um we've talked about other riders but also your team as well um what what your other teammates are doing now i think at our level and most of the level where people will be listening um it's there's less to be said about this because often, you know, it's kind of every man for themselves and there's not too much team dynamic and team working, but we, you know, there's a, there's some listeners who will be on fairly big teams where there is some team dictation um, and pre discussions about, you know, how the race is going to pan out and scenarios. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Cav? Um, yeah. So you'd like to think that the, team or the group of riders that are racing together have some inclination or experience about the race going into it so they can all accurately comment about what's going to happen because there's nothing worse than turning up to race and them all going we don't really know what the course is but i feel strong today when it could be the <laughs> that feels strong and it's a hilly race yeah so i just admit if there's discussions going on um and you're fortunate to be in a, in a team where it's a discussion rather than a dictatorship. Mm. Like make sure you know the course just as well as the manager does. Like at the end of the day, it might not be your day. You might be told that they want you in the breakaway so they don't have to chase or something. But the more you know that course, the easier it's going to be for you. Like just because you're in the breakaway or you're told to be first man up the road doesn't mean you're not going to win. Mm. At our level, like Tom said, it's not, it's not say we've got 180k flat stage where we've got some sprinter such as Matt Cavendish or Marcel Kittle or anyone that's going to absolutely rip it up. That's just not how it operates. So just because you say you've been given a certain role doesn't mean you have to switch off mm. or um, just do what you do, do what you've been told, but don't disregard your own result. Mm. So at amateur racing, a lot of ways the teams work, they say, we want these guys in the early break, just don't chase your teammates, mm. which is, in my opinion, the best way to operate at our level. And it tends to work really well. But that being said, again, if you're the person that's up the road, don't disregard your own race. Still think about how you can try and win, even if you've got a sprinter in the bunch. Yeah, absolutely. So we, when we're racing, we always try and make sure that we've got um, a rider in, in a move. Um, it's not always possible but that is kind of the the discussions that we we're always watching out and if if a move goes one of us will uh chase that or bridge across to that or we are the instigator in that move um so obviously that's a very key point is that um if you are in a team and you are a strong team um then you kind of you you make your presence by making sure that you've got someone someone in the winning moves all the time but then you've also got kind of um plans um as to what will happen if those moves come back um so you know again a very a very obvious uh kind of thing that you could follow is that if one of your teammates is up the road um in a, in a group and that does get brought back by the peloton 
then um, you kind of know uh, based on on course profile that um, the next person who might be a lot fresher in the team is then going to have a pop. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, again, it's definitely course dependent. It's definitely based on how each of you feel and, and what suits everybody. Um, but then there might always also be a guy in the team who is essentially kind of being told to to be the guy that is there at the finish and that's got the freshest legs. Um, so if you've got a five-man team, for example, and one of those guys in that five-man team is always, you know, best in terms of a sprint scenario, then, then that guy typically will be the guy that um, is uh, is kind of dictated to just save his legs for the end of the race and um and wait so that if it does come together at the finish he's got fresh legs and he can he can drill it out and try and like win the sprint finish um any other scenarios that you can think of Cav? um not specifically but like you said just uh be conscious of what the parkours are like and who's in the team mm. um every it's really difficult because every situation can be so unique so it's just about considering everything that's going on at the time, which can be quite hard if you're new to racing. But just think logically about who's there and what's going on and who who your friends are and the team that you might be in. Absolutely. The um, There was a, a few questions that came up on, uh, on my Instagram with regards to uh, this podcast. Um, and one of them was, or a few of them were all around... Um, like a certain scenario where uh which is a very frustrating scenario when it does present itself um but i think a lot of people can potentially approach it wrong um and that is the scenario that uh there's a small group up the road um none of your teammates are in it as a, as this example um and you're very i mean that that group is essentially pulling away from the peloton um and you are sat in the peloton and this group is getting away, away further and further each lap. Now it's a very, it can be a fairly common scenario if the group ethos is, uh, is fairly negative and, and they, they all start putting their heads down because the problem is if you've got a group of four or five people at the road, every single one of those four or five people will be, fully fully committed hoping that they can get across uh, get get away sorry and obviously in the peloton half of them will probably be gassed anyway um and of the other half some of them will have teammates up the road and won't want to necessarily bring that back and of the the ones that are left some of them will be lazy won't want to do much work anyway and and some of them might actually already be thinking oh it's gone i can't do anything to bring that back anyway so you're probably left with a group of maybe five people, six people, seven people who actually want to actively bring this break back. Now, is there anything that you can think of? Like, because I think, um, to be fair, in all fairness, hold my hands up. You've probably got more experience than I have in in this scenario in 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 open road races like that. Um, what's the general consensus in terms of like you know, aside from the obvious, to try and do your best to bring that kind of move back um assuming that you're not strong enough to go solo 
and just bridge across yourself. Let's say it's a, a, a minute gap already and the average speed is, you know, 26, 27 mile an hour. Yeah. So generally there's been, there's quite, there's not actually a massive range of things that happen, but obviously there's loads of different variations of it. So personally, my, my first choice is always roll around the bunch a bit, like actively go to the back to the front and just speak to as many different people as you can. Cause there's always going to be other people in the race that are like, Oh, even though the teammates up the road, they're going to want to like, as much as you're part of a team, you always want to win yourself. So you always get people that go, actually, I don't want to bring this break back, but I'm happy to ride across it to ride across to the break with you. So straight away, you find out people who are actually gassed and don't really want to talk to you or people that want to help chase or people that want to bridge. And then from that, you can sort of encourage people to start chasing. Mm. And then, so the thing is as well, as soon as a group starts chasing, you've got 10 people rolling around anyone that's half gassed that's a sprinter is just going to go out the back because they, they're just the, the pace when you've got a big group that are committed to bringing it back. It just decimates the group. And the more people that become invested in the chase, it means more of the people commit because they don't feel like they're being cheated out of pulling turns. Say if you've got five people rolling around, not many people are going to want to join in. But if you get if you manage to get 15 people rolling around, you can end up with the entire peloton rolling through like a, an evening chain gang which is really beneficial. But from there, my next pot call is go back to the group, discuss with the people that have got teammates in the breakaway and just be like, look, I want to be over there. Do you want to bridge across? So just speak around. And then you could end up with three or four of you trying to bridge. It might not be in your best interests in the sense that you're taking t- other people's teammates with you. So they'll be they'll have more numbers. But if you're a solo rider and you just want to, like, you're not going to win if you're not in the front group at the end of the day. So you might get screwed over later on, but at least you're in the front group. Mm. And then complete worst case is um, you just drill it and (laughs) keep drilling it and make the race really aggressive, put in attacks, and it sort of develops this counter-attacking thing. And eventually the peloton just splits into groups of strong and weak riders. And then just because of the smaller groups, there's a better work ethic in the group. And... It's a tough way to do it, but I had a race pre-season where there was a group of eight up the road, and at the start of the race, there was probably 60 in the peloton. I left it two or three laps of people just like putting in one or two-man attacks, not bridging across. Got a group of six or seven of us and said, we're just going to line out in the crosswind. And then from that point, for the last three or four laps, it was just like endless counter-attacks, people just trying to get away. And fortunately, on the last lap, I was in a group of four that, just missed the back of the re- just missed the back of the front group in the last hundred meters. Hmm. This is um, it's a very very good point. Is that <clears throat> I think uh, you know I think in in road racing um, everyone sees each other as like enemies and uh, and like that they they don't want to talk to each other. They don't want to work with each other. You know they're they're there to beat each other and that's it. But there's certain situations which present themselves um where actually you know at the end of the day if you're in this situation where there's five six seven guys up the, up the road um and you're in a in in the rest of the peloton of 40 riders or whatever it might be there's gonna be at least another 10 guys which are in exactly the same mindset as you more likely less that will want to bring that 
group back. And I mean, there's there's not, not going to be many people there that are just like, you know, completely negative head, head down and kind of thing. So at the end, of the, but it needs someone to dictate that because everyone's probably thinking the same thing. Everyone's probably rolling around, around thinking, oh no, it's gone. I don't want to be sprinting for 10th place, blah, blah, blah. And actually, if you bang heads together and, uh, and yeah, like you say, just uh, have a bit of a word with a few people um, in a very friendly way, I'll put, I'll put it like you've all heard everyone, you know, saying, why don't we fucking work then? You know, that kind of thing. And that doesn't tend to work because you just get pissed off with uh, people and, yeah. you know, just do it, do it in a friendly manner, have a bit of banter with people um, rather than pulling a huge turn, flicking the elbow and then just swearing and like crazy when the next person's not coming through. Well, the reason he's not coming through is because he's absolutely gassed and he can't come through more likely than not. So, um, yeah, just nice, nice flowing turns, uh, you know, make a bit of a chain gang, get chain gang of it. And then what you'll likely find is that, yeah, that, that eight guy, those eight guys who you had a quick word with all those four guys that you had a quick word with that have started to work. You might find that that quiz quickly escalates to a group of 10 guys, a group of 12 guys, because people are starting to notice that actually this is working. This is coming back. So people will be coming out of the gutter and, and starting to realize um, a different scenario. Then um, if you are up the road um, and again, I'm just, these are scenarios that come into my head, which can be frustrating for some people. Um, if you're up the road, Cav with five or six other guys and it's becoming fairly evident that, this is going to be the winning winning move. Um, you've got five or six of the guys with you. You've got three minutes on the peloton, and you know you've only got about twenty minutes left of racing. It's looking very promising, but for the last forty minutes of racing, of those six guys, there's been two guys or even one guy which is just not pulling turns. Is 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 not doing any work, but he looks fresh. He doesn't even look like he's tired. How do you approach that scenario? Like, um, I mean, state the obvious, you know, first of all, you'd have a polite word with them and say, you're gonna, you know, you're going to do some work kind of thing. But I've been in that scenario where I say that and he literally doesn't say a thing. He doesn't yeah. even reply to me. You know, he's just got his game face on. Um, how would you approach that scenario? I mean, because I would get pretty frustrated. Yeah, so... We all like to portray ourselves as polite people, obviously. But unfortunately, some days when you're racing, can get heat can get to your head and you say some things which you probably shouldn't. But fortunately, as all people are racers, we can all understand that once the racing's finished, you go, go up to whoever you've sworn at or said stupid things to and just say, look, racing, mm. hope you have a good rest of your day. Um, but aside from that, there's a few things you can do. One of the more dangerous things, in my opinion, is if you, you attack the breakaway. Um, obviously, 20 minutes to go is still a long time if you've been up the road all day. You're quite fatigued, but if you attack the breakaway and you start shelling people, and now there's only three of you in the front group instead of six, that other guy that's quite fresh might be wanting to push on now. Um, the reason he might be sat back shelling is because he's, he's waiting to wind it up, and that's all he's got, got. He might look fresh, but the only thing he might have is a long-range attack. So 
you need to consider the person that's sitting on and either way a smaller group is less people to keep your eyes on um which is always easier another way is you sit on two but again it create it can quite quite it can create quite negative racing mm. but a more extreme version of that is rather than you just sitting on is you purposefully distancing yourself off the back of the brake so the person that will be sitting on will want to be sat on your wheel so you'll roll around and try and encourage him through and eventually you may just happen where you both just drop 50 meters off the back of the race and then depending on the type of the rider is you don't really want to do this with a sprinter but basically out race the other person onto the back of the breakaway and then just ride them off like right get the breakaway to ride and ride them off the wheels again um quite dangerous and it takes a lot of energy to do though mm. um, the reason i do that personally is because i back myself as a punchy rider there's quite a few people that aren't and i definitely feel comfortable with putting in a big 40 second effort and not damaging my race too much mm. so in my situation i'd back off 50 maybe even 100 meters and just drill it to the breakaway and just say look the guy that sounds not here anymore you need to put in a big effort and get rid of him um yeah, a, a tricky scenario, and there's many different ways of playing it. Um, ultimately, again, as you said, one of your first comments, uh, it's made easier if you know know a bit about that rider, you know yeah. his strengths and weaknesses. Um, he could just have an incredibly good game face, pain face, and actually is suffering quite a bit. And if that's the case, then, yeah, just kind of uh, attacking that little bunch and... Uh, um, you know, he might quickly go out the back and be in no man's land. Um, and I guess, you know, trying these scenarios, you'll soon tell uh, if you do one of these attacks and, and attack that little group that you've got going and you notice that he's quite quickly on the wheels and still hasn't changed his facial expressions, then you know that he is fresh and then you should try something else. But if you try it and he's and he's in his fresh face turns to a grimace and he's absolutely smashing the pedals for five minutes to try and get onto the wheel and blowing a gas, then then you can kind of know that another one of those might do do exactly what it needs to do. Um, so in a road race, um, let's assume for this example, um, it comes down to the last lap and there is no breakaway group at the minute. There is um, a peloton, um, some some of which it might be a, a thinned out peloton, let's say 20, 30 guys now. Um, but it comes down to the last lap and it's pretty evident that it's probably going to be a bit of a sprint finish because the pace is high. Um, I know we had uh, Seacroft recently um, and, you know, pan pan flat circuit um and uh you know this is a good example where it it typically people struggle to get away just because how fast the speeds are and so on um when it comes down to a sprint um is there any things like if you see yourself as kind of an all right sprinter maybe not the best um We'll have a conversation about how best to play that last lap and how best to play that last few corners and that last sprint. Um, I mean, personally, um, in terms of uh, positioning, um, obviously, you don't want to be right at the front. You don't want to be the guy taking the the, the wind. Um, but equally, by this point, you should have a good idea 
of who those stronger riders are, who the bigger riders are, and who are the riders that are likely going to win that sprint. You should also know um, the course profile, the finish line, the last corner, and the kind of lines which most people take out of that corner. Um, If people go into a corner tight and then end up swinging wide, um, you kind of need to know that to make sure you're not going to get pushed off the off the circuit into the grass. Um, the best line into the finish line might not necessarily be the classic racing line. And actually, it might make a lot more sense to come out of that apex a lot earlier to make sure that you're on the right side of the wind and to make sure that you're not going to get congested with anyone so you can op- open up a good sprint. Um, aside from that, um, in terms of positioning and other thoughts... What else is going on in your head, Cap? Road racing is very tricky for sprinting and positioning what's going on. Due to the nature of it and people pushing the boundaries of riding on the left-hand side of the road versus the entirety of the road, um, especially towards the end of the race where commies might not see the entire race and there's not always double white solid lines, you get this massive washing machine effect of where people go around the outside and then someone else goes, oh yeah, that's easier than riding through the bunch. I'll go around the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you can get caught out with that. But just for the sprinting, um, a thing Jim Brown used to do, so the same thing had kind of happened at Youth Nationals. Everyone's really confident at racing. So it just creates this massive rotation effect of people in the peloton sometimes. So Jim Brown, now with Sun God Rider, he always used to grow up saying, if I'm on the front, at least I've got a chance of winning and I'm not stuck in this washing machine effect where all of a sudden I'm 20 riders back and I can't get through and sprint. So he'd always say that he'd always make sure to be on the front before he needed to be because then at least, worst case, worst case, he can defend his position on the road. Admittedly, it's not the most efficient and you're not doing a... Dan McLean popping out the last second celebrating after you just weave through 10 people. But it's still um, a really good method of making sure you're there, making sure you're involved. Worst case, you're just going to drop a few positions. I uh, I fully agree with that. And, in, and I've always been one in all of my racing, whether that be road racing or crit racing, to be much, I'd much prefer to be taking the full full extent of the wind and have my nose out front 20 seconds too early than even one second too late. Because by the time people start swarming you and you're starting to panic because they're coming past on both sides and you're going to get boxed in, sometimes it presents itself that you've literally shut your race down there and then because you get boxed in from both sides. You can't light up your sprint and you're completely hammered and I've been in many scenarios where I've had incredibly fresh legs. I'm ready to do a massive kick, but I've left it literally about one second or two seconds too late. And because of that, I've been boxed in and I can't light it up. And therefore you're left in this real awkward situation where you're kind of in the drop sprinting at about 80% capacity, but you can't go any faster because you can't get around them. You're all boxed in. So personally for me, I would always rather like I say, just be on the front slightly too early than slightly too late. Because the difference there is when you're on the front and you've got 
let's say 30 seconds left of effort to the, to the finish. You know that you can't do anything else other than literally kick those pedals as hard as you possibly can. And there's no other thought in your head about, you know, trying to draft someone, trying to get round someone, trying to take a certain line, looking up too often to make sure you don't ride into anyone. You know, you can essentially just drill those pedals and put as many watts into those pedals as you possibly can. And I think I, you know, to take out the stress of the timing issue, um, that's the approach that I've always had. Um, and we're not talking about crit racing today. We're just going to focus about on road racing. I'm going to do crit racing in a, in a different podcast, but especially in crits, I mean, I always, um, I always basically often say to myself that the finish line is the last corner, um, and, and, and just put myself in a box, uh, up until that. Um, but I think a lot of people, uh, you know, see these pro sprints on TV and Tour de France and, and so on. Um, and see how Cav, you know, just uh, sits on a wheel until literally about 50 meters to go and then just pops out. Um, that's when they've got, you know, an incredibly wide road. Um, every one of those riders is incredibly skilled at what they do. Um, and the speeds are nearly twice as, as fast as well. Um, so, so it does make more of a difference when you're sat behind someone. Whereas in reality, when our roads are a lot narrower, um, there is some sketchy riders out there. And, um, yeah, and, and, and equally we're not as closely matched in terms of sprinting ability. It makes much more sense to start lighting up your sprint a lot earlier. And I know I appreciate it's easier said than done because everyone will probably have a similar kind of mindset and everyone wants to be right at the front. Um, but you will typically get a bit of a lull, um, before everyone starts lighting up, um, and yeah, you make most of that lull and get yourself, get yourself towards the front. Um, because what you can picture in your head is like an ideal scenario will hardly ever happen. Hardly ever happen at all. Um, obviously this is even more exaggerated if you're going uphill as well. Um, if the finish is at the top of a hill, um, you've got less of a benefit of the, the drag and the aerodynamic benefits of being behind somebody. Um, so um so yeah even more so why you can just just get out front um but um but yeah in terms of an ideal last lap protocol um to answer someone's question um massively cost dependent um obviously yeah try and surf the wheels and get be as fresh as you possibly can going into that um but um but yeah don't be afraid to go slightly earlier um, I'm mindful that I want to kind of start wrapping up this podcast. Um, so there's a, just a couple of little questions that I was going to answer that people have asked um, on Instagram. I, we've, to be fair, we've answered most of them. Um, one of one person asked, "Is there an optimal position in the bunch from the gun?" Um, now, to be honest, on this. Um, I would personally just say that the best position is to be at the front or very near the front, um, and ideally towards one side. Um, would you agree with me there, Cav? And and if so, what's the kind of rationale? So personally, I disagree. Depending mm. on what you want, what you want your race to be look like. Um, so if you're in if you're in the front ten, you're going to have to be on the pedals. People are going to be kicking kicking away from behind that neutralized car every time 
So if you if you like ten riders further back, you're not going to have to have that instant kick. Um, fair enough if you're in the front front ten, you can sit back and wait for riders to come past you. But I just think naturally, in terms of avoiding things and confidence, just be a couple of riders more back. You're not having to do the kick, but you're still very involved. You still know what's going on. You can see yeah. who might go up the road, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't agree to sit on either side of the road personally. Yeah. But that's just because I I'm quite confident in my technical abilities, mm. but definitely um sat either side of the road it gives you more confidence you're you're like less you've got less people going on around you um i think my only uh, my only reason for the uh for the for the side of the road thing is that i've i've been in scenarios where you might be 10 riders back um and then there's someone who hasn't managed to get in his pedal um or or multiple guys who haven't managed to get in the pedal on, and there's still virtually a standstill on the on the line um and then you have to navigate through them and and often clashing bars and so on whereas i i find if i'm towards the outside that there's a bit usually a bit more room a bit more uh giving in trying to get around them and not making an error straight from the start um but it's situation dependent and again it depends on the right. level of level of riders that are in the in the peloton as well yeah. Um, and like you say, your, your skill level within within the group as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting to find the the conflict, conflicting opinion on that one. I I don't think I also don't think it should you should worry too much about it. I think I've started right from the front before, and I've started right from the back before, and I've had mixed results in both of them. So uh, you know, it's not, it's not something that's going to be the the definitive point to to your result in a race um i think if you like obviously my background is cyclocross so i'm very used to clipping in and going hard straight from the off um and thus like sitting on the front um i find there's less risk involved with that and i'm i'm okay to do that and still recover from it so that's fine but if you are one of those individuals who takes a bit of warming up and doesn't want to go straight from the gun and straight from the off then it would make more sense to sit in and 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 use that first 5 minutes to kind of warm warm into the effort and let all the young guns kind of go go off go off hard um is there anything anything else that you wanted to bring up or mention in this road racing tactics podcast Cav? Um, just coming back to the parkours, really, like there's no wrong answer with positioning, there's no right answer with positioning, but you're gonna like I say that, but at the same time, if you're coming into a steep hill and you're a sprinter, you're gonna want to be at the front, gives you more slipping room. If you're a climber, you don't want to be at the back because you're just gonna spend all your extra energy climbing to the front. Um, it would be good for everyone if they were kept confident in themselves to move up effectively downhill or effectively on the flats. And then obviously you'll be at the front for when you're going up a hill. And if you if you go pop, you've got 30 seconds of slipping room in the group. And then if you go pop and you're 30 seconds back, rather than being 30 seconds out the back, you're on the back of the group. Mm. Nah, decent. The um I think the the main takeaway points from today is that um I mean it, obviously we'll have many different people listening to the podcast, some of which have never done a road race before. And we'll probably listen to this conversation and probably, uh, you know, if anything, uh, you know, blowing their mind a little bit on how all the different considerations 
it's just a bike race at the end of the day and the person who crosses the line is the winner um there is a lot of things to consider which can can optimize your day and can put you in a in a better position um but what i'll also mention is that um racing at our level um you know and and i appreciate that level is different for anyone who's who's listening but racing at our level compared to racing professionally in a professional peloton what you see on tv is very different and i've i've heard stories of uh some of my coached riders who have been in a pro peloton and and what the reality is on that compared to local regional and national races um and they're all very different races um and they're all played differently with different cards and different tactics um and at the end of the day experience is the thing which will which will give you the, what you need when I first started road racing, I was very young and naive, and I also was on paper very fit, but that fitness didn't translate to results because I didn't know how to play my cards right. I was following every move. I didn't know when to make my the, the correct moves, and I got very disheartened with it. But over a period of years, um, and, and I'm sure you're the same, Cav, like you, you learn who the strong riders are you lose you learn when is the correct time to make moves when is the correct time to sit in and conserve energy what the do's and don'ts are of racing road races and um and yeah it, it definitely gets easier but um it's not a particularly steep learning curve you just need to be um you just need to take your time and um and make sure that you i remember you you talked about it in the previous podcast you were really critical in terms of reflecting on your performances, thinking critically about what your result was like. Could you improved on that result um, and what to change for next time? So I think that's a really key important thing is that no matter what result you've got, think critically about what was the defining points of that race. If you won, what made you win? What were the the, the main things which kind of resulted in that? If you didn't win or you, you know, you did have a, had a, a performance that you weren't happy with, why is that? And, and, and what could you change for next time? I think that's a really important part to, to any reflection on, on road racing. Um, we will do another podcast. Um, maybe not next week, maybe not the week after, but maybe the week after that on crit racing tactics, which although they have some similarities, there's certainly a lot of differences as well um and so keep an eye out for that if if that's what you're interested in um but for now thank you very much and see you again next time 